Hi there! Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. So I cut my hair yesterday. I hadn't had it cut since January, and it was getting awfully long. Long enough to put in a ponytail, which helps, but that also gets uncomfortable after a while. And then there are still these little bits that hang down in my eyes, and I can't stand looking down and not having any peripheral vision. <sighs> so I took the scissors to myself yesterday and <laughs> started hacking, and Matt helped when I got to a point where I couldn't see properly anymore. So we cut a good four inches off, and boy, does it feel great! I love it. And I've been thinking for a while about letting the gray grow out. And especially now is a good time to do that, really, because I hardly ever go out. I'm working from home and during COVID is a good time to do that. But I thought about it a lot and I decided I'm not ready for that. I like coloring my hair. I do it myself so it saves me money. And you know what? It's kind of like painting a room in your home. You know, it freshens things up. It feels good. And that is also a good thing to do during a pandemic. So then, then I was rinsing and a sizable chunk of hair came out in my hand. <laughs> and instantly, it's funny how quickly I went to being philosophical. And I thought, well, you know, going bald wouldn't be so bad. My sister-in-law and my mother both lost their hair as cancer patients. And assuming it grows back, hey, maybe I'll let the gray grow in after all. And I also have a lot of really nice toques to get me through the winter. In those few brief moments, I talked myself into being quite all right with losing all my hair. But then no more chunks came out. <laughs> so all is well. But it was funny how quickly I was able to go from one side of that question to the other and come to terms with it. Still, I'm just as glad I will get to make that choice when I'm ready. So another thing I do to feel good during these crazy times is that every few days I reach out to a friend and check in. Just say hi. You know, I want to make sure everyone's doing okay. And by doing that, I also get to have a nice chat with a friend, so it's good for both of us. Now, while last week's chapter was the second one I ever wrote, this one didn't come until I was actually writing book two. So it occurs to me, I wonder if it's seamless or if you notice some sort of change in writing style. I mean, obviously, chapter six has been edited and tweaked, but... I still wonder if there's a difference somehow. I'd be interested to know. So here is chapter seven. Gatekeeper's Deception by Krista Wallace. Chapter seven, their mission must fail. Derry turned over again and again. The straw mattress was too hard. It sagged in the middle, so sleeping on his front with one knee up didn't work. The wool blanket was thick but smelled of camphor. Jeskelin's meditative breathing a few feet away and Fennel's soft snores were frustrating, not soothing. Skimnoddle had more than made up for his insensitivity by providing entertainment to pass the time. He had sung, juggled, and made them laugh with his magic tricks. Even Derry had smiled a bit. 
In a particularly thoughtful gesture, the halfling said, Captain, you need something you can really concentrate on. He pulled from his pocket a little purple drawstring bag with some gold writing on it and invited the men to join him on the floor. Loosening the string, he tipped out five dice and taught them a game. Derry got the hang of it fairly quickly, and within three turns had reached a thousand points. Fennel, practically shredding his already unkempt blonde hair, didn't manage to reach that plateau until Derry had already gained 7,850. Janik hollered curses at the stone cubes and flew past Derry in one turn. It was a tight race, and Jaskelin came out the winner in the end. It was a good game, and had taken up the captain's thoughts for a time. When the men retired to the dark, disused-smelling chamber upstairs, he rolled onto his side and could think of nothing but Kier. Why had they not even tried to follow her? They'd abandoned her to a nameless fate. Surely Jaskelin could have attempted some sort of spell to open the door, or at least to see what was transpiring behind it. Was Kami keeping his word? Was Kier being well-treated? I should never have let her go. Derry did not like the way the wizard looked at Kier, and liked even less the way Kier blushed beneath his intense gaze. Had Kami given her a decent place to sleep? He sat up, throwing the blanket aside. Was she sleeping alone? If she was not alone, was it by her own choice? If the answer was no, Derry's guts churned with rage. But if the answer was yes, Derry hardly knew which answer was worse. The chill of the damp room penetrated his tunic and crept along his skin. He drew the covers up and lay down again, eyes staring up at the shadowed stone ceiling. But the black stone was not as dark as the pit inside Derry's body. An unfamiliar emotion had worked its way into him, like ivy roots creeping through cracks in stone. When he finally slept, he had disturbing dreams. When Derry awoke to see stripes of daylight on the floor through the shuttered windows, he leapt out of bed, anxious to get downstairs to wait for Guillermo's return. He hurried down to the dining chamber where they had supped the night before. The fire already burned brightly, as if, knowing someone were coming, it had lit itself. This time the table was laid out with eggs, meat, cheese, and fruit, all looking delightfully fresh and delicious. He noticed that the table was laid for six, not just five. Derry sat down and began to eat, and was soon joined by Jaskelin, then the others. All but Derry, it seemed, had slept well, though he did not admit it, for fear of having to explain it to them. They ate in silence. The door from the entrance hall opened. In walked Kier. Jaws dropped, chewing stopped, and Derry stood up, knocking his chair over. "'Thank the gods! Are you all right?' he cried. "'Of course.' She glanced over her shoulder to make sure he wasn't talking to someone else. What were you expecting? She looked just the same as ever, except perhaps a little cleaner and less rumpled than she had when she left them. She sat down and began to fill her plate. Of all the things Derry had expected, this was not among them. Tears of relief, maybe. Cuts, bruises, disheveled hair, yes. Refreshed and content? Shocking. Derry couldn't believe it, and flushed with embarrassment and annoyance that he'd wasted so much energy worrying about her. "'What happened?' he demanded. "'I've been—we've been worried about you. Did he harm you or try to force you into anything?' "'Certainly not. He was a perfect gentleman.' She scooped a forkful of egg. "'What then?' She stopped mid-mouthful and stared at him. 
the others had gone back to eating, he gulped his irrational indignation and righted his chair, trying to compose himself. He sat down. Where did he take you? He directed me to a beautifully comfortable bedchamber. Derry stiffened. And then, he prodded impatiently, I had a bath. A bath? Yes, a bath, she said archly. Is that problematic for you? She gave him a cheeky smile. Kier, please, you know what I mean. Why did she have to be so contrary? Very well, then, she yielded and put down her lump of cheese. After bathing, yes, that part was true, I went downstairs and we shared a very elegant meal, during which I had to try to remember not to eat with my knife. Then we sat by the fire drinking wine and elderflower liqueur, which was wonderful, and we talked. That's all. I didn't even insult him or anything, she added proudly. There's a surprise, Janet said. That's it? said Fennel. Well, not entirely, she hesitated. What else? asked Juskellen. I wore a dress. She tossed her head. Snorts popped out of Skimnoddle, Janik, and Fennel. Did he tell you the antidote? Juskellen said after a moment. No, Kier's face was troubled. I'm certain he will. Derry's steady gaze met hers. We are very glad you are all right. Kier's smile filled him with warmth. The door opened and Kami walked in. "'Ah, good. You've had a nice breakfast. Did everyone sleep well?' he asked cheerily, and without waiting for an answer, went on. "'I wanted you to be refreshed for your journey this morning.' "'Your pardon, Kami,' Jaskellen said. "'But we will not leave until you hold up your end of the bargain.' Kami looked at him quizzically. "'Why, whatever do you mean?' Derry stood up and faced the wizard. "'You know what we mean, Kami.' I hope you aren't trying to tell us that you won't give us the antidote after all. Kier did what you asked, and now we ask that you honour your promise. Gentlemen, gentlemen, let us be calm. Kami leaned casually on the doorframe. A promise made is a promise kept. Well then, Juskellen raised his eyebrows in expectation. I have already done so, Kami said. Kier knows the antidote. All eyes shifted to Kier, who looked shocked. She shook her head. Yes, my dear, you do. You have but to think back to your dream of last night. It will all become quite clear once you have left here. Now, I came in to bid you farewell. My home is beginning to feel crowded, and even the charms of Kier Halliden cannot counteract the effect of her comrades. I expect you to be ready to leave within the half hour. And with that, Kami left the room. They all looked at Kier, with her forehead resting on her hands and her eyes shut. She shook her head. "'Well, what do you know?' asked Derry. "'I don't remember dreaming anything last night.' She looked up. "'I slept more deeply than I ever have in my life.' She got up and exited into the entrance hall. "'And if he has lied, we are powerless to do anything about it,' Derry thought. He picked up a grape and flung it against the wall. Jaskellen threw up his hands. "'We have no choice but to trust him again.' Derry was certain Kier had not told them the entire story about her encounter with the wizard. The way she had passed the evening off as nothing was too glib. He was not convinced that she was not distressed by something besides the antidote. He resolved to speak to her about it the next time they were alone. When they met in the hall, their weapons were available in the open cabinet. As they finished refitting themselves, Kami swept through the door to the sitting room they had conversed in last night. He shook hands with each of them in turn and wished them a safe journey as they went out the door. 
When he came lastly to Kier, he took her hand and spoke in a low voice. "'May I express again, my dear, my pleasure in your company?' "'You may express it all you like, Kami, but I will not be content until I know the cure for Alon Mare. "'A determined and loyal warrior,' the wizard replied. "'Kian is a fortunate man. You have my word that you will know the antidote.' She nodded. He bowed and kissed her hand, and seemed reluctant to let it go. "'It is not too late to change your mind.' His eyes finally met hers. She was resolute, however, and shook her head. I will not change my mind, but thank you again for a wonderful evening. I want you to take this. Kami pulled out from his cloak a single white rose. He placed it in her hand. Keep it close to your heart. Sapphires fused with emeralds. Perceptive of his sincerity, she nodded. I will. She tucked the flower inside her armor, and with a final wave at the most intriguing man she had ever met, she went through the door. "'It will never be too late,' she heard him call as the door closed. "'Persistent bugger!' They rode, although they had no idea which direction to take without the specifics of the cure. Kier could not believe Kami would lie about it, but she couldn't help wondering if he would have been more forthright with the information if she had agreed to stay with him. She shook her head. No regrets. "'Let's head east,' suggested Kier. "'We have to clear the mountains anyway, and then maybe I can think more clearly.' "'I hope so,' said Jeskelin. "'As if I don't,' Kier felt more than a little pressured. "'She looked crossly back at Kami's tower. "'Was that his face she had just seen at an upper window? "'It was gone now, whatever it was. "'Within seconds of turning back, she was hit with a compulsion. "'We want to head northeast,' she announced. "'To the cold fells.' "'Kami was true to his word.' Kier rode at the front of the group alongside Fennel. About an hour after leaving the tower, she felt herself becoming mesmerized by the plodding of the horses at Jeskelin's pace and the expanse of plain spread out before her. Her vision clouded over, and she reined in her horse. The others came closer, curiously. As if in a trance, she related to them the images her mind showed her. "'We're in the cold fells. We're underground.' It is very dark, but we have some kind of light. It's a cavern, I think. There's a large chamber with dripping walls. The walls are covered with... It looks like lichen. It's called Falander. She paused as the image changed. Now we've journeyed west to the Sea of Kun. There's a flower. It's a wildflower, tiny and white. The petals are a trefoil. We need an extract from it. It's called Talima. The image changed again. I see a fine sand, almost like dust. It's reddish. We're in another cavern, in a place called the Inden Caves. She stopped and turned to Jeskelin, her eyes unclouded. That's it, those are the ingredients. He wasn't lying. Talima and Falander and dust from the Inden Caves, Jeskelin said thoughtfully. "'What are we supposed to do with them? Did your dream tell you that?' "'We're to mix the dry ingredients with the extract and some sap from the Tree of Life. That's all I know.' Kier was certain the images had been as clear as the note from Kami's harp. "'But where are the Indian Caves?' Fennel asked. "'I don't know exactly.' "'I do,' Derry said. 
It happens that my lord has traveled extensively and has told me stories of his travels. Though I've never been there, I know where to go. Kier nudged Trigg forward, uplifted by a sense of profound relief. At midday, Derry called a halt for a meal and to rest the horses. Opening his saddlebags to dig out something to eat, he was surprised to find a good supply of food he hadn't put there. He had a package of dried meat the size of two loaves of bread, as well as several pounds of fruit and cheese. "'Well, Kier, you certainly made an impression,' Jaskelin commented, exhibiting a gorgeous loaf of bread and some parsnips from his pack. "'How so?' "'I have known people to pay visits to Kami, yet never have I heard of someone leaving with such a supply. I have only ever heard of Kami as impatient and ungenerous. What did you say to him?' "'No idea.' I guess I didn't offend him anyway. She did not add much to the conversation while they ate. Derry thought she looked weary. The meal wasn't rushed. As they finished eating, the speculations opened about what the cold fells were, where they were, and what might be found there. Kier didn't seem to be listening. It wasn't a formal discussion, such as the group might have when formulating a plan. Still, it irked Derry somewhat when she got up and walked away. He was of a mind that the one person who had any details on their mission ought to have taken more interest. Cloak flung back over her shoulders, the rope of braided hair among its folds. She took several slow, uneven steps and staggered a little, not as if she were drunk, but as if she were extraordinarily weary. His crossness shifted to concern. Her hands didn't swing at her sides. Rather, she had pulled them in front of herself where he couldn't see them. Her head tipped down. She stopped a few paces away, and with the same grace with which she fought, lowered herself to sit on the ground. With a mind on investigating, Derry grabbed two apples from the stash of food and went toward her. He had suspected she'd pulled something out from within her jerkin. As he came closer, he caught a glimpse of what appeared to be a flower, and she breathed its scent, her eyelids closed as if near sleep. She turned her head slightly, so he knew she was aware of his presence. "'Am I disturbing you?' She shook her head, but tucked the flower back inside and hugged her knees. "'We leaving soon?' He seated himself near her. "'Fairly soon, yes. Are you all right?' "'Fine. A little tired.' She took the apple from him and stared at it. The light breeze waved a few bits of stray hair like prairie grasses. Careful not to sound interrogative, he asked, "'What have you got there?' Oh, this. She didn't actually pull it out, but peered down. A lovely parting gift for my new best friend. He smiled. Oh, yes? It's a rose, she said dismissively. He asked me to keep it near my heart. Literally or figuratively? Her turn to smile. Both, I think. He made an impression on you, too, I believe. Her eyes rounded. You could say that. A small smile played about her lips. Derry turned his apple in his fingers, unconsciously waiting for Kier to bite into hers before he could do the same. The mood was too tentative and would be broken by the slightest crunch. You seem, uh, awfully tired. Did you not sleep well? Are you kidding? That was the most comfortable bed I've ever slept in, like sleeping on clouds, and I was utterly exhausted after— She pressed her lips together. What? What? he wanted to say. He waited a moment, then said, Yes? Kier straightened and looked back toward the others. I guess we need to leave soon. 
Derry was incomprehensibly irritated by her evasiveness, but bit back a cross word. Yes, it would be wise. They got to their feet. With an arm, he gestured that they should walk. Kier didn't move. He cocked his head questioningly. He wanted me to stay with him. She was staring into the middle distance. To live there with him as his companion. He said... She swallowed. He would share all his knowledge with me. He said we were meant to be together. Derry's eyebrows went up. He said that together we would achieve... Well, I don't really know what he said, but he seemed to think I belonged there because of something I don't know. She turned to look up at Derry, and he resumed a neutral expression. Kami said, you all don't really need me on this mission. Derry's mind was filled with the memory of his lousy night on a crummy bed in a dank room and that cloud of blackness in the pit of his stomach. Well, that's nonsense, and obviously you knew it because you turned him down. She turned her gaze ahead to the others, to the horses, to the plains beyond which contained their journey. Yes, I turned him down. Kier took a bite of her apple. Derry looked at his, but no longer desired it. The first night after leaving Kami to his solitude, they camped in the foothills of Mount Tamor, having headed up and over them, rather than going around. The ride to the Coldfells would take at least five days if they stuck to the plan to hug the mountain range as closely as possible, without tracing its every spur and angle. Skimnoddle outdid himself as a cook with the surprise items Kami had given them, and a little help from his own unique skill as a hunter. On that first evening, he floored them all. He rummaged through the bags, taking stock of Kami's offerings, and muttered to himself, occasionally letting out a small whoop as he discovered something particularly pleasant or rare. "'It is for this sort of selection of delectable comestibles that a culinary specialist such as myself lives!' He sighed with pleasure as he tottered over to his designated preparation area with an armload of vegetables and sundry foodstuffs. He sank to the ground and eagerly sorted through his collection, squealing under his breath with delight at what he was about to create. Janik harumphed as he brushed the halfling's pony. "'It's great that you're so happy while the rest of us do your chores for you!' Kier scoffed. "'Oh, sure, you'd rather take your turn at cooking, I suppose, because you're so much better at it than Skimnoddle?' Trig was freshly groomed and shining, and Kier sat down to wipe her tack. "'Better than you are, anyway,' the dwarf said." Kier laughed. She still felt tired, but the excessive weariness had faded as they moved northward, farther from Kami's black tower. There's no disputing that. Fennel pointed his hoofpick at her, between flicks of dirt from Leot's foot. Perhaps I'm always so hungry by the end of the day that it doesn't matter to me, but I've never been bothered by any lack of quality in anyone's cooking, Derry put in. We can always count on you to be the diplomat, Janik said. "'Someone has to counterbalance Kier,' Fennel quipped. "'Oh, good,' Kier returned the captain's smile. "'We have Skimnoddle to set off my cooking and Derry to set off my personality. "'What more do we need?' "'My lady, if I may but suggest,' Skimnoddle leapt to his feet and doubled over in an elaborate bow. "'The greatest contrast of all, your beauty, which can only be accurately counterbalanced by Janik.' "'Hoots from everyone but the dwarf himself.' "'Bravely said, I must admit,' Kier wiped tears from her eyes, and then she shook her rag at Janik. "'Don't you go taking revenge on him for that, either. You started all this, you know.' 
I did no such thing. It was that malodorous elf. And the point of it all was that here I am caring for the halfling's beast while he gets to sing and twitter away over something he takes pleasure in. It's wrong, I tell you. Yeah, well, you don't take pleasure in anything, so what difference does it make? Kier pushed herself up off her moss-covered log to fetch a needle to mend some stitching in her bridle. Except perhaps in deriding everyone around him. Fennel grinned and gave Layout's gleaming coat a final pat. <laughs> All right, Janik, let's hear you sing and twitter over that, Kier laughed. Janik harumphed again. Through with Skimnoddle's pony, he set to circling the clearing in search of sticks for firewood, carefully stepping around a motionless Jeskelin who was deep in his meditative trance, regenerating his energies. I thought Valraker promised we would wonder how we ever got along without him anyway. He nudged an elbow in Skimnoddle's direction. Was he just referring to food, or is there something else you're good for? Janik, Derry warned. Skimnoddle stopped mid-slice and set the knife down on his cutting board. He looked thoughtful rather than annoyed or hurt. Finally, he said, I have not had occasion to put it into effect for anyone's benefit here on this journey, but mayhap this circumstance allows for it. He thought for a moment, then moved to stand before Kier again. She rested her elbows on the bridle in her lap, looking at him suspiciously. "'My lady, as you must know by now, there is nothing that fills me to repletion with joy more than your happiness. To that end, I pray thee, tell me your desire. What repast may I provide for thee that you have long since craved?' "'What?' "'I speak truly. Please let me honour thee by procuring a specialty food item for your enjoyment.' Kier was silent. What could she choose that would be quite impossible to find here in the north, on the edge of the wide plain? Reminiscent of last night's meal, she said, "'How about lamb?' "'For you, my lady, it is done.' He skittered over to his saddlebags. "'Did you ever consider becoming a cleric?' Derry said dryly. "'You honour me, dear captain.' The halfling did not glance up as he scrabbled through his bag. "'Aren't you glad he seemed so much in awe of Kami that he was silent yesterday?' Fennel whispered to Kier as he flopped next to her and leaned against her fallen log. Skimnoddle produced a square of cloth that looked like simple canvas and a small brush with a narrow tuft of bristles. He knelt next to the pail of water by the fire and spread the canvas on his lap. Staring into the bushes where some sort of animal shuffled around, he dipped the brush in the water and began to paint on the cloth. Curious in spite of herself, Kier set her task aside and rose to look over his shoulder. She could just faintly see the outline created by the wet brush. Skimnoddle was apparently as adept at drawing as he was at singing. As she watched, a lamb took shape on the cloth. And when he was through, he set the brush down gently and lifted the cloth, giving it a little wave toward the bushes. The company's collective jaws dropped in astonishment as they heard a meh, and a gray lamb hopped into the clearing. "'How did you know there was a lamb in the bush?' Janet growled. How did he get me to suggest a lamb even if he did know there was one in the bush? Kier said crossly. It pained her to be impressed with Skimnoddle. He did neither, said a voice that had been still for some time. Jeskelin had arisen from his meditation in time to see Skimnoddle's trick. They turned to him, the halfling looking smug. It is a very unusual magic. He squatted down by Skimnoddle. May I see... He indicated the cloth which the halfling handed to him. The image of the lamb had evaporated. 
I have heard of this only once, and I have never seen it put into practice. Correct me if I am inaccurate, but I believe it uses surrounding objects, creatures, and transforms them somehow. That is correct, Janik pointed at the cooking pot. Why don't you use that and draw a picture of some gold? That'd be more useful. Can you turn Janik into a newt, Kier said. He'd only get better, Derry pointed out. Skimnoddle bowed and re-rolled the cloth around the brush. "'You may think, my good dwarf, that your proposal is revolutionary, or perhaps one I had never thought of myself, but I pledge to you it is not. I have, and it is impracticable. You see, the spell, as most spells, has its limitations. It may be used only for non-selfish acts, and nothing that may cause bodily harm to anyone. Believe me, I have tried.' "'How did you come by it?' Jiskelin asked casually. "'That is like asking how I managed to find this leaf,' he reached over to the mage's head. "'Behind your ear,' he finished, and winked as he placed it in Jiskelin's upturned hand. That night they ate lamb cooked on skewers with onion and tiny tomatoes, alongside pan-fried zucchini and boiled new potatoes, and Kami had supplied them with cake for dessert.' "'Well, well, well, lucky me. What a week for visitors,' Kami said dryly as he leaned against the frame of his front door. "'You don't seem happy to see me,' the new arrival replied. "'I can't honestly say I am experiencing any particular emotion at all,' the wizard said. "'I suppose you might as well come in.' He drew his weight off the door frame and turned, opening the door wider to admit his guest— he led him into the same chamber where he'd chatted with the young lady and her friends, and with a swish of his hand provided some simple refreshment. The visitor flipped his short cape, seated himself on the sofa against the outer wall, and stretched his long legs out in front, crossing them neatly at the ankle. His arms rested on the back of the sofa. "'You are all hospitality as usual, cousin,' the pale man smiled." "'I am delighted you feel so at home, Golgothar, "'as to not be compelled to wipe your boots on the mat as you enter,' "'Kami scolded mildly, indicating the dirt that had travelled in "'like parasites on the other fellow's footwear. "'So, who were your recent guests? "'It's so nice to see you keeping company with real people once in a while.' "'I'm sure you already know the answer, or you wouldn't bother asking the question.' "'Kami's tone was as frosty as the mug of beer he handed to Golgothar.' "'What you want, cousin? Are you meddling on behalf of your tiresomely power-hungry commander-in-chief?' Kami remained standing. Golgothar laughed. "'Oh, dear me, no. I give him what he wants, to be sure. But no, cousin, I meddle only on behalf of myself.' "'So what is it you're meddling in now?' "'Oh, it is such fun being me,' Golgothar said airily. "'Tell me, what did you think of the strong female presence in your home yesterday?' "'There was a female, yes. What would you like me to have thought about it?' "'She is unusual, and I don't mind telling you that I'm curious about her.' Golgothar got to his feet, his head nearly brushing the ceiling. Kami raised it a few inches, just to be a polite host. "'Thank you,' Golgothar was ever the polite guest. He moved about the room, his legs taking long strides, not quite pacing, yet Kami sensed that his cousin was trying not to look agitated.' The scent of heliotrope wafted around him. "'I have witnessed her actions once or twice now, and I know others who are curious about her. I find myself fascinated. Did you not feel anything of that nature?' 
Kami gave him a quizzical look and shook his head. I confess that I did not spend much time in their presence. I noted who they were, that is all. They asked for some information and I chose not to give it to them. It was the young captain and the maid who did most of the talking on behalf of the party, so no, I cannot say she in particular stood out. He took a sip of his drink. Golgothar spread his arms out wide and his beverage slopped out of his mug. Kami glanced distastefully at the floor and wiped it away with a wave of his hand. "'I cannot understand you sometimes, cousin. How many years has it been since you saw anyone, spent time with anyone? How long has it been since you saw a woman, let alone made love to one?' Kami's eyes darkened. "'One such as she walks right up to you when you don't even notice her.' Are you suggesting I ought to have taken advantage of a female? Naturally not, but you certainly have a few powers of persuasion in your little bag of tricks, do you not? Kami finally sat down. Did you come here to rave about your fascination with a woman? No, of course not. That was fancy only. No, I just need some information to help me with my meddling. Are you weary so soon with the trinkets I have given you already? Kami asked. This... Golgothar's fingers played with a chain around his neck. Kami had seen a similar one only the night before. Golgothar grinned. This is very useful to my meddling. I would not have nearly so much fun without it. Why, even now— You know very well that I prefer to be kept out of all your activities, Kami interrupted. Yes, as well as the activities of the continent in general. Of course. It has nothing to do with me, and so I have nothing to do with it. Well, if that is the case, it can't be too much trouble for you to tell me where you sent the recent company of guests you entertained, among whom was a lovely young woman you did not bother to pay heed to because of your self-absorption. His grin widened as he returned to his sofa. I jest, of course. Oh, of course, Kami said sarcastically. He gazed at his younger cousin's tall, lean frame and contemplated his personality. How a talent for magic could run in the family and pass him by completely had always been a mystery to Kami. So while he had occasionally been willing to help his cousin, he guessed that Golgothar had adapted and learned his own way of approaching the world. That casual manner, the pale face that always appeared to be hiding something or teasing— he had the attitude of one who knows something but isn't willing to share it. Well, Kami was certainly just as good at that as Golgothar. And at least in his own case, it was almost always true. Why do you want to know where they are headed? Golgothar waved his fingers at Kami. Make up your mind. You don't want to have any involvement in the world outside your tower, and you definitely don't want to have anything to do with me, so why bother asking? If you are only on your own side, why do you care? He was right. Kami shouldn't care, but now that the information had been requested, well, there was a niggling discomfort with telling him. An instinct to protect the young woman in question crept up his spine like spiders. Kami did not know or want to know what his cousin was up to, and yet for some reason he hesitated. What concern did he have about Kier? She had refused his offer. She did not care about him, so why should he care if his cousin interfered with her progress? He set aside his precautionary compulsion. They are headed to the cold fells. Ah, thank you, dear cousin. Rising, Golgothar drained his mug. With a bow, he bade farewell to Kami and took his leave. When he was gone, Kami looked around the room at the dirt, at the damp spot where he'd spilled his beer, at the spot where Golgothar sat so blasted comfortably. He wished he had not said a word. Too late now. He took himself to his chamber. 
The wood elf had told Hunter that Valraker's party had gone north. The information ought to have been more helpful. Instead, his tracker was having no luck finding the path of their quarry. Along the trade route, it was understandable, many horses and carts travelled the roads at this time of year, but even back out here in the grassland their trail could not be found. Hunter suspected magical intervention. If that were the case, they were still likely the same two days behind, nothing to do but press on. The gleam in Hunter's eyes still flared in anticipation of his reunion with the woman. "'When we finally find them,' he told his dozen companions as they ate and prepared to bed down, "'the girl is mine. Do what you want with the rest of them, but leave her to me.' They grunted their assent. These people were nothing to them. They looked forward to the kill, but for them it was not personal.' "'Funny you should say that,' Hunter jumped at the all-too-familiar voice behind him. "'Must you do that?' he said grumpily. "'Can't you at least yodel or something to let a fellow know you're coming?' <laughs> Golgothar's laugh rang out in the night. "'You delight me,' he cried. "'I tell you, you are much more fun than that snivelling Ronav. "'I will very likely keep you on.' Marvelous. Hunter turned back to the fire, illustrating that he was in control and no longer nonplussed by the sudden arrival of his leader. Kep suddenly decided to look for more wood, and Mullen and Tigo needed to prepare their beds. Hugh and Harley and the others carried on with their business, content that the pale figure's attention was not directed at them. Misty and Juggler stayed put, listening to every word with vague curiosity. "'What is it you want this time?' Hunter demanded." "'Straight to the point. That is just what I like about you. I have for you two tidbits of information, both of which I am sure will delight you. First of all, to help you locate those you are pursuing, I have learned that they are headed for the Coldfells. The second tidbit is a slight change of plan. I understand you have a personal grudge against the woman, Kier.' Hunter took another bite of meat and didn't respond. "'The new instruction is quite interesting, I found. Let's see if you find it so. She is not to be harmed. What do you think about that?' Hunter stopped chewing. He stood up and faced the lieutenant. "'I don't like that at all. I want her dead, by my own hand.' Why was it that when Golgothar sat down, leaving him on his feet, Hunter did not feel larger or stronger as if he'd risen in status? Instead, he felt ridiculous.' He would have sat as well, only Golgothar had taken his rock. "'I'm afraid that is not to be, chief,' the pale man waved his cloak with a flourish as he drew it round himself. "'We have a suspicion about her, one that was roused some time ago during an interview with your predecessor. We want proof, and we have finally figured out a way to get it.' "'I don't care about your suspicion!' Hunter spat, his fists white-knuckling. "'I want to kill her, you hear me? It's the only thing that's keeping me going.' "'Oh, dear, that is a problem.' "'Yes, it's your problem, because when I see her, I will not be in control of my actions.' Suddenly, he was flanked by Misty and Juggler. He tried to break away, but their grip on each of his arms was uncannily strong. Golgothar's voice went low. It retained its cheerful tone as if speaking to a child, barely above a whisper. "'You will not harm her.' Frederick felt the tip of cold steel on his neck. "'Do you imagine you are exempt from punishment?' Golgothar stepped closer, towering over him. Juggler's steel pressed. "'Are you afraid of the dark, my dear hunter?' Frederick shook his head ever so slightly. "'Ronav was. Did he ever tell you why?' 
Frederick's head quivered again. "'You will not touch Kier Halliden, my good chief, "'unless you wish to discover what dwells in the darkness of my lord's deepest places.' "'Frederick was no fool. He acquiesced. "'He was seething and cursed his fear and trembling. "'You will take this girl, Kier Halliden, "'separate her from her friends, just for a while. "'Keep in mind that my last instructions still apply. "'Their mission must fail. She must stay alive.' You will take her aside and repeat the following words to her. Here Golgothar spoke a sentence in another language, one that was not the least bit familiar to the chief nor his followers. It was a short sentence, just a few words, and though the lieutenant made him repeat them a good many times so he would have the strange uvular pronunciation of the words perfect, he did not disclose their meaning. That's it, Hunter's mouth was dry. You want me to say that and then just let her go? "'Yes, that,' Golgothar said, "'with one important step missing. "'You say that to her and watch her reaction. "'Then you leave her and report back to me. "'How do I do that? "'You have this habit of appearing. "'It isn't as if I've ever asked you to show up.' "'Ha-ha!' <laughs> the other chuckled. "'That is true. "'You won't be seeing me for a while, my friends. "'I have some errands to run and important matters to attend to at my home, "'but when you are ready, take your tracing stone in your hand and call my name. "'I will find you as soon as I can.' "'And with that he was off again, to wherever such a man called home. "'Frederick cursed himself for the—' "'Well, he'd lost count of how many times he'd cursed himself. "'His one pleasure in all this had been taken from him.' Turning, he unwillingly caught Misty's eye, and she winked at him as though they shared a pleasurable secret. He met her gaze coolly, though his insides smoldered, and he sat back down on his rock. And now we have a better idea of why Skimnoddle is actually a useful fellow, besides the cooking. <laughs> For me, having him around to cook would be enough. I don't like cooking. My family's always liked the food I make, but I don't really take much pleasure from it. The thing is, I really like food, so I appreciate that Matt cooks. I've always cooked during the week because he was at work and, of course, the kids needed to eat at a reasonable time. And even now I cook during the week, but Matt cooks on the weekends, so I always look forward to that. He's a way better cook than I am, and he enjoys it. So it makes for a decent division of labor. There are a few things I do enjoy. I love making soup. I love making haggis. And I'm pretty much a genius with leftovers, turning them into something new. And there's plenty of opportunity for that because when we're making meals, we tend to always think about having leftovers so that there's stuff to eat for lunch the next day. But now after all that talk of food, I am hungry. So I will talk to you next week. And happy Thanksgiving to all my American friends. I hope you have wonderful, safe, socially distant celebrations and that you're all being really creative in finding ways to celebrate together apart. Everyone take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Be well and stay safe. Thanks to my family, Matt, David, Heather, and Maggie. Thanks to David and Sharon. Shout out to the original six. So much to you for listening. Now, go be fantastic.